0: You know you don't need to be a phenomenal teacher you don't need to necessarily lead but you can be there and you can be helping and you can be present with the kids you can be building relationships with with the kids which that's I think one of the most important things
1: welcome to another episode of the Carpe Fide podcast where if the shoe fits you wear it and if the truth hurts you bear it I am Justin Gruber and I am Jesse Gruber and today we hope you will seize the the faith. faith Welcome to episode 126 of the Carpe Fide Podcast. I am Justin, but I'm also froggy today, so I do apologize for my voice. I was really confused why you were introducing yourself for the 126th time. Because I don't sound like my normal self. I sound different. You're Batman. <laughs> All day long. For episode 126, we have another special interview on our series, our series. Wow, words are just not coming today. What's it called? What's it called? On our series, Education is Warfare. We are so thankful to have our guest uh, today. Um, She writes awesome curriculum. She has been in education for a long time, and she knows what she's talking about. So we will be gifted with her answers today. That is one Elizabeth Urbanowitz. How are you today, Elizabeth?
0: I am doing well, and I'm really impressed that you got my last name down. Good job with that. It's not an easy one.
1: I did mention in the... In the Gruber household, you're a bit of a celebrity, so we do know how to say we know how to say it. But I'm I'm still working on the spelling, but I'll, I'll iron that out before we post it. <laughs> yeah, whenever there's a lot of consonants next to each other, it spells it's, it's honestly not the consonants. I, I'm struggling with the vowel sounds in the middle, but it, it's fine. I'll, I'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> now, while you are a celebrity it. inside of the <laughs> while you are a celebrity inside of the Gruber house, for those that may not know. Could you give us a little background of you know who you are and how you came to be you know a, a writer of curriculum for for churches and schools?
0: Yes, yeah, so I'm sure like many of your listeners, um, I had grand plans for my life, and then the Lord's plans were completely different. And I'm so grateful that He's sovereign over it all. I never sat down and thought, you know, I'd really like to write curriculum one day. Um, I started off my professional career as an educator in 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 a Christian school, taught third grade for 10 years and loved it, loved getting to teach the entire truth, loved getting to actually disciple children. But several years into my teaching experience, I noticed a problem that my students came from homes where their parents were intentional About discipleship. You know, that's why they had them in a Christian school. They were with me eight hours a day. I was intentionally giving them a biblically based education. Most of them were fairly involved in the local church, you know, like all such important things, but they were rapidly absorbing ideas from the culture without any question. And what I quickly realized as I started to think about this is, you know, uh, very clearly from scripture, God is immutable. Like he is unchanging. His word is unchanging. So what we need to do to disciple children, you know, doesn't look different necessarily than it did 300 years ago, you know, a thousand years ago, but what is changing is the culture around us. And because of the prevalence of technology, which is not always a bad thing, you know, we're able to connect today for this podcast because of technology. So there's many benefits to it, but because of its prevalence, our children are going to be confronted in one year of their lives with more competing ideas than most humans throughout the course of their entire lives. Have mm. been faced with. And so, just the tools that we need to give them to evaluate the different ideas that come their way look a little bit different today than they did even, you know, 20, 30, 50, 100 years ago. And so, I started to look for resources that could just help the students that got it placed in my care to think biblically, to ask themselves good questions, to carefully evaluate the different ideas that they were hearing, whether it was on the playground, you know, or in a church Sunday school classroom or on YouTube or, you know, to TikTok didn't exist back then, but, you know, any platform like that. And what I found was all of the resources that I encountered were for were for students high school on up. And I thought, you know, I'm so grateful that these resources exist. But if we wait eight to 10 years to start equipping these kids in this way, oh, my goodness, we've lost almost a decade. And when you wait that long to correct a problem, rather than being formative in your instruction, you have to be reformative and you have to tear down so many more faulty ways of thinking. So I was like, well, I'm a teacher, so I know how kids think. I know how they learn. I guess I can start reading books and taking classes. So I just developed a curriculum for my own students. Taught it in an after-school format for third through uh, fifth graders, and the students they really shocked me. That you know, I was just hoping like, hey, please like turn on your mind when you like turn on the TV. You know, just just start to think, and that did happen. Mom started calling me and we're like, so my fam- my uh, son wants to pause family movie night and evaluate the characters' worldview. This is wonderful, but I don't know how to do this. Can you help me? And then <laughs> teachers were coming down to my classroom and they were like how are you getting these students to think this critically about science and mathematics and history and literature? Like, we've never thought this critically about this. And I was kind of like, I don't know, like, I'm not really sure what's going on. I'm just like (laughs) teaching them some basic thinking skills. So when people saw the transformation that took place in these students, just because, of the simple tools I was equipping them with. I started getting calls from all, over, from all over the country, you know, just saying like, how can we get our hands on what you've created? And I was like, I'm a third grade teacher. I'm not a Christian publishing house. You know, like, I don't, I don't, <laughs> know. I just, I don't Read books, like take some classes. I'm sure you got this. Um, and everyone was like, no, oh, just man. let us know when you have this published. So that kept happening for several years. And eventually I was getting so many requests. I was like, okay, something clearly there's a need here that's being felt and met in this way. So I went back to school uh, while still teaching to get a master's in Christian apologetics from Biola University. And then halfway through that degree, I left teaching to start Foundation Worldview, which um, is the ministry that I run today, where we just create resources to help Christian adults get the kids in their care to carefully evaluate the ideas that they encounter so they can understand the truth of the biblical worldview. So that's the story in a nutshell.
1: (laughs) That was fantastic. Yeah, the the surprise when you teach a child something and they actually Mm -hmm. grab a hold of it and then they apply it and then you're like, oh, no they've applied it and I don't know where to go from here. <laughs> I could just feel that in the adults that are coming to you. Like, how did you do this? What is going on? <laughs> that's awesome. That's so awesome. As a side note, why did you pursue Christian education? Was there a reason you didn't go into the public education sphere when you started your education career?
0: Good question. That's another question that's answered by God's sovereignty because I actually, when I, set out to be an educator. My plan was to teach in a public school. I actually double majored in elementary education in Spanish because I specifically wanted to teach in a more urban environment. That was the environment that I grew up in and wanted to go back there and to be a gospel light there. But the Lord and his sovereignty had different plans for me. I did not have Christian education on my mind at all. In fact, when I started teaching in a Christian school, my view of Christian education was public education with a few Bible verses stamped on top. And, you know, like when you discipline, you can bring scripture into it where it was a process for me of the first five years of my teaching. I taught very much like a public educator. And then around year five, the Lord just really woke me up to the fact that I was not a distinctly Christian educator, that I was a secular educator stamping a few Bible verses on top of my teaching. And so it was a journey for me. Um, this was before I started teaching my students um, to really think critically and biblically, a journey for me to really deconstruct what I thought about education and really look at what does scripture say about education and how do I need to change my view of my students, my view of myself, my view of the family, my view of education to really understand what distinctly Christian education is. So again, it was the Lord's sovereignty there.
1: Yeah, that's a big transformation. I feel like that's a whole other podcast topic. That is literally possibly a whole other topic of (laughs) podcasting. My mind mind is going that direction now and I need to to reel it back in. All right. Yeah, seriously, you do need to reel it back in. All right, listen, I, I just said that. <laughs> so in baking curriculum, you chose apologetics, a more apologetics-based curriculum. And I guess you're saying that's because of their, the children that you were seeing not reasoning through? Is that how it came about? Like you're just not seeing that? there they They're were basically more, more automatons. Am I saying that? Is that the idea there? <laughs> I mean, that's how you say the word, yeah.
0: Well... So, yes, we do create curriculum that is more apologetics based. Um, a lot of times the word apologetics can seem very intimidating. Um, basically, what I mean when I say apologetics is just helping others see that there are rational reasons for believing that what is presented in scripture is true, that we can genuinely love God with all of our minds. And that doesn't mean turning our minds off um, that, you know, when God asks us to put our faith in him, he's not asking us for blind Um, irrational trust. He's asking us to put our trust in him who we cannot see because everything we can see points directly to him. Um, One thing we try to make really clear at Foundation Worldview is that discipleship of the head, the life of the mind, is not the most important thing. It is equally as important as discipleship of the heart, the affections and discipleship of the hand, the hands of the will. Um, So all of those are equally important because scripture is clear that we are both body and soul, that we're to love God with our all. So discipleship involves this holistic process at foundation worldview, the curriculum, we create focuses on discipleship of the head, not because it's more important, but because it's what's often most confusing to do, that it comes a little bit more naturally for us to look at, okay, how can I stir the affections of my kid's heart toward the Lord? How can I build solid relationships with them? You know, like how can I direct their actions and correct them when they sin? We're helping them understand, you know, like how do I help them understand, you know, that gender is something that is inherent. It's not assigned, you know, like questions like that can be more confusing. And so that's why our materials are focused on that because we just want to Come alongside, specifically parents, but also church leaders and Christian educators, to help them understand. Okay, how can we do this well with the children that God has placed in our care?
1: Yeah, those are the questions that Satan and the world are trying to shake. So they they would they're aiming at the foundations. So yeah. it does make sense to strengthen the foundations. I'm just waiting for the for the by what standard uh, presuppositional curriculum. I, I, no, I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> without god you have But teacher how do you know that (laughs) is it from your own presuppositional beliefs about (laughs) anyway um (laughs) sorry i guess that would be a real simple one it's just like by what standard and then you know that's 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 the whole curriculum um (laughs) so so do you uh do you find um uh hold on wait what question are we on Justin? you have no idea nope are we on the fourth one I didn't count. I'm just my scroll. I'm scrolling my screen. You're doing so naturally at this. Yeah, it? the second half of the fourth one. Bud. The second half of the fourth one. Why don't you why don't you introduce the oh, no second problem, half of the question? <laughs> oh my goodness. I got this the fifth why, question, okay? This is why the Carpe Fide podcast <laughs> is a free resource. Real. Oh <laughs> heavens. <laughs> So you you did kind of just touch on it and it really makes a lot of sense to move right towards it. What if what if this idea, this concept, and because the whole goal here is if education is indeed warfare and it is a battle for the soul, mm-hmm. essentially, mm-hmm. and the soul, the heart and mind of your child is at stake, um, what if parents do feel overwhelmed by this idea, this this concept of the depth of the topic of of apologetics or or thinking about foundational logic and helping children think that way? Is there is there a, a is there a way they can think about it to help them uh, feel like it's not a daunting task that they can just approach it as they would other topics?
0: Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm not married and I do not have children of my own, so I do not know firsthand how overwhelming this is. But as I've watched, you know, the parents in my local church and close church family and friends, I know that parenting just in general can be overwhelming (laughs) because, you know, like you're dealing with so many different facets. And so specifically when you think about, you know, how do I get my child to think, well, how do I prepare them for all that they're going to face in the culture? Yes, it can, it can feel intimidating and, I think it's okay for it to feel intimidating. It's when we start to become anxious about it, that that's when we, you know, cross the line over into actually this is sinful, you know, because we've been commanded not to be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with Thanksgiving to present our request to God. And so um, I think we need to be careful not to allow intimidation to turn into anxiety. And one thing that, that I like to encourage parents with is just take it one day at a time. One day at a time, one situation at a time as it arises. You know, you don't need to educate your child in everything all at once. But one thing I think we can really think through is what are transferable skills that we can give our children so that they can implement this solid biblical thinking in any and every circumstance. Um, an example that I love to give is just teaching little ones, even kids, you know, four to six, just the difference between something that's true and something that is not true. You know, and the really simple definition for truth is truth is what is real. It's what is real. And even with little ones, we can give them sentences and say, okay, oh, hey, I'm going to give you some sentences and I'm going to tell you something. Some of the things are going to be true. And if they're true, I want you to spread out your arms as wide as you can and say true then I'm going to tell you some silly sentences, some that are not true. And what you can do then is I want you to cross your arms like an X and say, not true. You don't know, give them simple sentences, you know, like puppies are baby dogs. That's true. Puppies run on the ceiling. Oh my goodness. That's so silly. That's not true. And just play this true, not true game. Then throw in the concepts of feelings and say, so, you know what? Our feelings are inside of us and our feelings are changing all the time. Sometimes my feelings are different than your feelings. An example I give the little kids is I'm a very strange person. And my preference is I don't like chocolate, like chocolate chip cookies. I'm just like, oh, like not oh, worth the calories. Um, oh, no. I'm shocked. like. I know. <laughs> I've like, had my fair share no. of
1: chocolate chip cookies. Yes. Well,
0: you can you can eat them for me, Jesse. Oh, that's <laughs> <okay>. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so can kind. I get that in
1: writing? <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
0: Um, but and then just introduce them to some feelings say okay now we're going to play the true not true game but we're going to also add in feelings and whenever I say a feeling I just want you to hug yourself and say feeling and then you know you can do the you know puppies are baby dogs puppies run on the ceiling and then puppies are fun and then say you know what some people feel like puppies are very fun and other people when the puppy is chewing on their sofa do they do not feel Mm -hmm. like puppies are very fun so that's a feeling and if we can just create these categories in their mind there's so many different cultural issues that this takes care of you know just like even just the cultural mantra you know like don't judge me or you do you and then we're like wait does that actually work no it doesn't that's not true because we have Uh to make judgments Uh all the time or when we think about the concept of transgenderism This is something actually that someone wrote into our ministry recently telling us that that activity I just described of, you know, like the true, not true feelings game with little ones, that's an activity that we play in our biblical worldview curriculum. And this mom wrote in that her son- um, got in the car after school one day, and she asked him how his day was, and he was like, "Well, it was kind of a really weird day." And he, he's in second grade, and she's like, "Well, what made it weird, buddy?" And he's like, "Well, you know, Mrs. So and So was absent. He's like, and we had a substitute teacher, but the substitute was a man, but he was wearing a dress, and he wanted us to call him uh, Miss So and So." And you know, like the mom is like freaking out internally, and so she stays calm, and she's like, "Okay, buddy. Well, tell me what what were your thoughts about that?" And he's like, "Mommy, it was just so sad. You know, and they had they had never had a conversation about trans." Genderism before. And she's like, well, what makes you say it's sad? And he was like, well, the truth is that God made him a boy. And he can tell that by his body, but he was just going along with his feelings, which are not oh, wow. the same as truths. And it was so sad. And so just, you know, if we can give our kids these transferable skills, it can feel less intimidating because it's like, okay, we don't necessarily have to talk with them about everything that's coming down the cultural pipeline, because sometimes we don't even know what's coming next. You know, we don't know the depravity that our culture is going to continue to spiral into, but Mm -hmm. if we can give our kids these transferable skills that they can use in any and every situation, then it can be a lot less intimidating because it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. we're just going to work on this one skill or these two skills. And then we're going to prepare our kids, you know, hopefully for whatever is coming down the pipeline.
1: And I really hope that the next day that that child just meet an ex with his arms and just walked around. <laughs> like <this all> <laughs> but, uh, That's, that's absolutely insane. Um, it's wonderful to hear. Like, uh, I remember I had after Kylie, Justin's oldest went through the foundation's worldview curriculum at our church. I remember, do you remember, do you remember she was, we had tracts out, like we just have free resources out at church. Oh, yeah. And she picked up one by Vody Bakum and was reading, um, and uh, I I forget I forget the passage or, or what he was saying, but she co- she comes up and she's just like Uncle Jesse, this sounds a bit like Hinduism. Are, are you sure that we are you sure that we should be you know putting this resource out? And I'm and I'm like yes. And then but we got to like talk about the differences between mm-hmm. like w- what a Hindu might believe about about whatever it was, something, Spiritual, something like, being yeah. and everything or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and, and how different that is from Christianity and how all good ideas come from Christianity and, and, and stuff, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And it's, it was like, I was like kind of taken aback by the conversation. Uh, you know, Kylie's very smart, but like just her processing and reasoning through that, at that age too. Mm-hmm. But to hear that it can be done even younger is just like absolutely astounding and mind blowing to me. It's really awesome. I love there was a right. lot of, there was a lot of subjective objective uh, mm. conversation in my house mm. with mm. different statements. So, you know, whether or not it involved parenting or <laughs> we were watching <laughs> um, and I, it, it, it really was the, 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 curriculum was phenomenal because I'm a big, I'm, I'm a big meta, you know, meta narrative paint with mm. broad strokes kind of guy. And so when we're watching a movie, what are the big ideas? What is this movie trying to tell mm. us? What are these characters doing? So you're, curriculum was fantastic for that and uh it was right in right on point with where where we were already trying to head with our kids it did give us mm-hmm. some great tools suddenly they felt empowered to identify truth and lies mm-hmm. um and you're right if we can man if we can if you can get kids to get the feelings part down it's a it's a pretty big deal
0: <sighs>
1: especially, for yes. our, especially for our culture
0: yes yeah <laughs>
1: I won't I won't go into the story that I have about feelings from it's it'll it'll turn it'll turn crazy all sorts of ways anyway um so question question number five <laughs> I, I, I had no idea what he's talking about and it was gonna get weird so no I'm you sure. don't I mean it wasn't gonna get weird it's like a whole different time. it's it's just it's too disjointed I will just do a hard segue into question number five <laughs> abort abort hard segue, hard segue. <laughs> So um, <laughs> so one question is, like, do you find like as as you're thinking through and planning these curriculums out, um, do you find that there are particular topics or, or apologetic discussions that resonate really well with kids that they pick up kind of easily? And then, like, are there some that are maybe harder for them to grasp that require more uh, more focus on? Like, what, what are those types of categories uh, if you found them?
0: Yeah, a lot of times it depends on the child um, because mm. all children are different. One thing we have found is that what you were just talking about with objective versus subjective, like an objective statement that's outside of the control of our inner emotional world, which you know for little ones we just describe as either true or not true, versus a subjective one, you know that's controlled by our inner emotional world that you know for little ones we just describe as feelings. The younger we can teach that the more easily they grasp it. Like we found, we have curriculums that are for kids four on up, for kids eight on up and for kids 10 on up. And whenever somebody starts with the 10 on up curriculum, they're like, my child is just pushing back against this. And it's like, well, that's because just by living in this culture, we're so indoctrinated Mm -hmm. by this idea that our inner emotional world is the best and most reliable guide to reality where little kids, like four-year-olds just get it. Like they just get it right away. They're like, oh yeah, that's the truth. Oh yeah, that's a feeling. Oh yeah, that's not true. So that's something that we have found. Um, what you gentlemen were just describing before about our comparative worldview curriculum about explaining how different worldviews answer the same question and really evaluating that in general we found that kids tend to pick up on that very very quickly and then can really apply that to everyday conversations to when they're watching media you know you gave the example of even you know just Christian literature um, you know kids are able to implement that very very quickly um, I'm trying to think of things that maybe they found a little bit more challenging because kids can pick up on so much so quickly. Um, You know, when when I first started teaching uh, the comparative worldview curriculum to my own students, like and I started teaching them what different worldviews teach about right and wrong. And you know how certain worldviews teach that morality is subjective, that it's just based on our internal preferences. One of my students raised his hand. He was like, my students back then called me miss you. And he was like, miss you. I am like super confused. And I was like, what are you confused about bud? And he said, okay, so if my heart is always guiding me in what's right and what's wrong, what happens if my heart, tells me that I need a Nintendo switch. And my dad's heart tells him that I don't need one. Like what's going to happen. I was like, that is such a good question, bud. Like, so you're saying our hearts aren't always going to guide us in the same direction. He was like, no, like hardly ever. And I was like, let's think about that. What would happen in that situation? You know, if your dad's heart conflicted with your heart, he's like, well, my dad would win. And I was like, well, why is that? He said, well, he's bigger and stronger and he has the money. And I was like, Oh, so you're saying that if we just all live as if we're supposed to follow our hearts, the person who's the biggest and the strongest and has the most money, their heart is the one that's going to get, you know, everybody's going to have to follow. And he was like, yeah, that stinks. (laughs) Um, Uh And kids, kids can just pick up on these things so very quickly. And the younger we start, the more easy, the more they're, it's easier. You know, there's just less, you know, faulty foundation that we have to tear down and build correctly. So that's, that's mostly what we found. I'm trying to think if there's, um, there's anything in particular i don't think there's anything in particular that we've had a lot of people write in about that has been particularly challenging for their kids another thing that kids really easily pick up on that i love we have last summer we released a studying the bible curriculum which is just it's basically hermeneutics but nobody would buy it if we called it foundation hermeneutics curriculum (laughs) um so we call it studying the bible but kids when they're taught to actually look at the entire story and read verses in context, it's just amazing how quickly they'll like, you know, hear somebody say something and then look at the verse in context and be like, actually, that's like not what it's talking about at all. And so it's just so exciting to see how when kids are really equipped to think, well, one, they get excited about it. And two, they they can do it really, really well. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I hope that I hope that that with that student, you then transitioned into talking about how the bureaucratic elite control most of society <laughs> through their power, influence and money. But uh, but that's that's that also probably could have been a bit to <laughs> uh, it's it's how he how picked up on that. It's, it's amazing because it's the truth, though. It's not not your <clears> statement, <throat> Jesse, the child's statement. Was... Well, and how different, uh, you know, biblical households are from these uh conglomerates that, that control everything um so speaking about topics that might be a little bit over our kids heads the next question did you like that segue that was pretty good Now that was a good segue much better than i have an emotional story that i'm not going to tell also here is another question <laughs> um so so I, I think i think all of us agree uh obviously that um, it's important for kids to get engaged with the truth and and to combat um, different and to understand how to think through cultural issues and and combat them and and let the truth prevail. But so, how would parents recognize uh, when a topic might be a little bit too over the heads of a child? You know, like um, versus one that that they might be able to handle thinking through.
0: Yes. Well, again, this is something where it's going to require wisdom on each individual parent's part because different kids can handle things at different times. You know, I know some, you know, eight or nine year olds that they're old enough to, to, for parents to talk with them about the concept of abortion, you know, and what it is and why we know it's wrong, where, you know, there's some kids, you know, even at age 10, you know, just emotionally, they would not be ready to hear about that yet. So a lot of it depends on the child. But I think one thing that we have to think through is anytime we're talking with our children about a topic, we have to understand how has God specifically designed them at this stage of their development? And then what do I need to do to help break this concept down in a way that they can understand. You know, if we're talking about teenagers, they can understand most of the same concepts that we as adults can. If we're talking about an eight-year-old or a six-year-old or a four-year-old, you know, they're going to have a different, different level of understanding. But what I like to think about that's easy, and so for those of you who are listening who have homeschooled your children, this will probably come pretty natural for you. But when you think about the concept of mathematics, you know, for most five-year-olds, you can't look at a five-year-old and say, okay, three plus four, what is three plus four? Because they have no concept of what three is. They have no concept of what four is. So what do we do? We attach something physical To it. So rather than just saying three plus four, we take out three blocks, we let them play with them, we teach them how to count them, then we take out four other blocks, we let them count those, then we push them together and we count up to seven. And so they understand that these three blocks plus these four blocks, when we push them together, it equals seven. Then, you know, later on in their development, we attach symbols to that. We show them actually the symbol for three, we show them the symbol for four, we show them, you know, plus and equals, and then we teach them how to write the number seven. And then eventually by the time they're in first grade, we should just be able to say, okay, what's three plus four? And they can say seven. So when we're talking about a concept that, you know, like our kids were thinking, okay, they might not understand that if we can attach something physical to it, they're going to understand that so much more easily. Like I think one of the um, activities that we do in our comparative worldview curriculum is we're trying to teach kids that, that thinking that God designed the universe is actually much more rational than thinking that we got here accidentally. And so what we do is we don't, we don't just talk to them in words, you know, about like, this is irrational. But what we do is we take out Scrabble tiles and we have two piles of Scrabble tiles, you know, so this is the physical thing we're attaching this to. And we have one pile that, you know, before the kids come in the room, we just shake up in like a red solo cup and dump out. And then we have another pile that we arrange into the sentence Life contains information. And we just have them look at the two piles and say, okay, let's, you know, like let's answer some basic questions. Let's look at this first pile over here, you know, the one that we just dumped out in the red solo cup. And we say, okay, does it look like these letters got arranged this way purposefully or accidentally? Like did was it an accident that they got like this, or did someone arrange them like this? We talked about, well, it looks like it's an accident, you know, they're just. Are in a pile, you know, there's no order to them. And then we talk about, well, could someone have arranged them this way purposely? Could someone have taken their fingers, you know, and arranged each letter tile like this? Yeah, it's possible. Like, it doesn't look like it, but yes, that's possible. Well, then we look at the next group of, of letter tiles and we say, okay, let's read this. It says, life contains information. What do you notice about these letter tiles? Well, they're evenly spaced, they're lined up, they spell a sentence, they, they give us some information and say, okay, does this look like this got here purposely or accidentally? we say, well, it looks like it's purposefully, you know, like why, because of their, the fact that they're evenly spaced and they spell words and they spell it, you know, they give us information in a sentence. We talk about, well, is it possible for them to have gotten this way accidentally? And without fail, some kid will say yes. And we'll be like, let's try it. (laughs) And so then we take the letters, we scoop them into the red solo cup. We have the kids shake it up and dump it out. And it's like, oh, oh, did we get that sentence again? No. Do you see any words? Oh, well, I see the letter I. That's that's a word in English. Uh, I see the letter A. That's a word in English. But we see any like two letter words? No, we don't. Okay, and then we try it again. And you know, like you try it at least five times. And we're like, man, we didn't get a single word like five times. What if we spent the whole day doing this? You know, do you think that we would get this sentence? Life contains information. Like, no, that's that's almost impossible for this to happen. What if we did it like our whole lives? probably still wouldn't happen. And then we talk about, we show a picture of a library full of books and we say, you know what? Our DNA, the information inside of us that tells our bodies how to grow, you know, the shape of our nose, the color of our eyes, the height of our body, that information is more than a whole library full of books. If we can't get one sentence of information accidentally, what do you think the odds are that an entire library full of books is going to get that way? accidentally. And so then they're seeing for themselves, you know, we didn't just have to lecture them, but they see physically that information is really hard to come about. It's actually impossible to come about accidentally. So for us to say that we, these complex beings just got here accidentally, that that's the most probable explanation of how we got here. Like that is insane. So just encourage parents, you know, anytime our kids are having trouble understanding something, think, okay, what could we physically attach to this. To help them understand, or when we're talking, I'm working on a new curriculum right now on God's good design for gender and sexuality. And an example that we're going to give in that curriculum, you know, rather than just talking about design and how God designed us and our design is good, like yes, we're going to talk about all those things. But first, I give them the example. I, I hold up a glass and I say, okay, what was this glass designed for? It was designed to hold a refreshing beverage. And when we fill it up with liquid and then we sip it, oh my goodness, it refreshes us, and we can be so grateful for it. And the glass. Fills its purpose. And then I say, well, what if I took this glass? What if I dumped out all the water and I turned it upside down and I put it on my kitchen floor and I used it as a step stool? Hmm. Is it possible that I could use this glass as a step stool? Well, it is possible. I, I could turn it over like that and I could potentially use it that way. But what's going to happen well, one, I'm probably going to slip because this glass wasn't d- designed as a step stool. It might even shatter underneath my feet. And I'm, I'm going to get shards of glass in my feet. I'm not going to actually reach what I was hoping to reach. And the glass is going to get ruined and missed, a- missed out on its purpose. And we then talk about, you know what? It's similar with our bodies. We can use our bodies to do things that God did not design us to do. And we might want to use our bodies to do things that God did not design us to do. But what happens if we use our bodies in those ways? Well, we get hurt those around us get hurt and we miss out on the purpose that God has given us. So just would encourage parents or anyone listening, you know, anytime you're thinking, I don't know if my kid understands this, see if you can attach a physical example and that's how God designed the child mind to learn. So that's my recommendation.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I often, uh, remember when I was trying to be, um, a six foot eight power forward in the NBA. And um, my body was just not designed to fulfill that purpose. And uh, (laughs) so I ended up looking more stupid than anything else. But um, (laughs) uh, honestly, it still happens most days, actually. (laughs) That's, That's a fact. I love using the physical world. It's so, it's so good. And also that I just felt so sad thinking about someone trying to stand on a glass and then <laughs> the glass is obviously going to break. That's going to turn out horribly. Don't stand on a glass. Oh, I mean, man. also like I really now want a refreshing beverage. I, I, I feel like, I feel like the way that you communicate about things really just makes me want whatever you're talking about. <laughs> Perhaps it just means I'm a child, but <laughs> it's a wonderful way of communicating with, uh, <laughs> with kids. Yeah. I remember how awesome the Scrabble tile, uh, it did. It sticks with the. What was great about the curriculum is a lot of these ideas to stuck with the kids. Because of that, so you're you're absolutely right. Mm. Trying to connect that to tangible uh, a tangible thing around them is is so important. So that was, it was good because it was effective. <laughs> it's like it's like you learned something and then and then converted it into something. So that was that was that was really good about yeah. you. Well done. <laughs> We're appreciative. <laughs> um. So uh, another question that I had. Um in looking at this i i was I was briefly on the website um this morning, and justin, I just want you to know that there is a ton more content than when we yeah than when we did it um and it gave my it gave me some palpitations of excitement um I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much more things that we need to buy but anyway um <laughs> one <laughs> one, <laughs> one question that um that I had just kind of going through that stuff um is w- when you're designing this or or when you want parents to implement it, whether that's in, in a homeschool co-op or whether that's in their families or in their churches or at their schools. Um, it, do you feel like if we took this material into the home, do you feel like it could replace like a family worship time, like a time of, of family worship or devotional study? Or is it designed to, to kind of supplement that, that family worship study?
0: Good question. We definitely describe ourselves as supplemental um, in especially with like the curriculum you're talking about that you gentlemen have used the comparative worldview curriculum that does not take kids through the entirety of scripture, which is so vital. And so we're not saying use our curriculum instead of taking your kids through scripture. Like, absolutely not. If that's what you walk away from this podcast with, you have not heard me correctly (laughs) (laughs) that our kids need the entirety of God's word. They need to be equipped to soundly read, interpret, and apply scripture. And so our curriculums, we design them. Um, they're anywhere from 25 to 30 lessons long. And the reason that we Um, create them that length is so that they can be implemented once a week. And, you know, typical, well, a year, any year is 52 weeks long. And then a typical school year, I know sometimes homeschooling families do it differently in school year round, but a typical school year is 40 weeks long. And so we always want to give you some breathing room just because we know things happen. And, you know, some weeks you might be like, oh my goodness, we didn't do our lesson this week. (laughs) You know, and we don't want anybody to feel that way and be like, well, we're just going to fall off the bandwagon, you know, and not do this anymore. Um, So it is designed to be supplemental. We do not in any way recommend that you replace family time in scripture with this lesson, but that you supplement it um, just once a week. And the other reason we suggest once a week is because again, just with how God designed the human mind to learn, it takes on average seven exposures to the same content before that content really begins to transform the way that we think, Um, you know, I don't know if that was God's original design for us, or if that's just part of us as fallen humans, that that's, uh, you know, how long it takes us to really get something, but we want to leave enough breathing room between the lessons for these to be natural family discussions, you know, so as you're having your family worship time, you know, and different topics get brought up in scripture, you can make the connections of, oh my goodness, that's speaking to how God you know, designed humans or like that's speaking to God's character and nature or that's speaking to the concept of truth so that you have time to actually look at how these things are implemented in real life. So that's our recommendation for how to best use these materials.
1: I'm really glad that you mentioned that because I know Justin's been having his kids skip church and and just watch Liz's videos. And I, mean, <laughs> I told him that that was wrong and I just had to get confirmation Absolutely. <laughs> 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 well, I stand condemned. And also, <laughs> you're a liar. That's never happened. <laughs> supplemental, because as I was, and, and I'm glad that you feel that way, because as I was looking at it, and as we've used it as supplemental, you know, for, for our kids, you know, it, it, I think it really fits there. And while you're supplemental, we're just mental. So we need all the all the supple we can get. Oh, that was the most weird thing to, why? Why? Do you... Supple- supplemental. Oh, I, I I understood the connection and, and how we're we're unnecessary. Meant... <laughs> Completely unnecessary. <laughs> uh, I'd like to say that we're different when we record at nighttime, but we're really not. <laughs> I don't know if we're better or worse. <laughs> All right, Justin, why don't you segue us into our next question? How? How do I supplement? <laughs> <laughs> how do i segue from whatever supple weird <laughs> thing? <you just laughs> all right the supple thing was weird it, it didn't it didn't turn out right but the supplemental you know i'm ashamed <laughs> do you want me to ask the next question yeah i would love for you to ask okay the, honestly i don't know how you're going to ask the next question i'm kind of in, intrigued to see how you're going to. um yes this this was this was my question and uh what what i don't i don't mean for this to come out any sort of way the word supple is not in it I'm no right, no so no okay <laughs> 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 oh my gosh this is what everybody turns off the podcast <laughs> So no listen to the end please all right so um you know we're in 2023 obviously and um great job things are a bit of a mess in the education sphere um you know we've got we've got uh, public schools in the news we've got these different curriculums we actually launched but i thought you did uh, we actually launched our podcast talking about um, New Jersey's 2020 guidelines for their sexual education curriculum mm-hmm. for um for the public schools and so we we have a really a really big heart for what's going on there um so like looking at the the current state of the various education systems that are in place in 2023 so we've got we've got the public school we've got Christian schools private Christian schools we've got home schools and co-ops so do you like what methods if any do you think are are better geared towards the raising of children um, as we see, you know, in scripture, or like, do you think that there's one that that kind of stands out, or because really our goal is discipleship with our kids? Um, do you right. think that there's one that fosters that better than another, and perhaps why?
0: Yes, so this is something again talking,
1: that was like the longest question I've ever heard asked. That's because you don't need yourself <laughs> answer, you ask your own questions. <laughs>
0: Well, it's a good one, and I think it's an important one for us to think through today. Um, Again, I want to put the caveat at the beginning in that I don't know individuals, listeners, family situations, um, and so I can't speak and say this is like one blanket method that everybody should use. I can say that I think with where public schools are today in the U.S., I would caution parents that unless they... Know for certain that the Lord has called them to send their child to this public school, and those in their local church are also affirming this. I would really caution Christian parents not to send your kids to public school. Um, Because I guess my question is just why? You know, if we know that what is going to be taught in public school, you know, even if there's not all the gender confusion being directly taught, just thinking about science and mathematics and history being taught from a secular perspective. And we know that we're going to have to combat this, you know, do we actually have that time at home? Do we actually have sufficient time to undo what our children are learning for eight hours a day? Now, I know there could be outlier situations, you know, very unique situations where, parents are specifically called and their church is affirming of that. But I think those are few and far between. Um, so I would really encourage parents to consider either private Christian education, homeschooling, a homeschooling co-op or a university model Christian school where the kids go to, you know, they're in the classroom for two days a week and then they're homeschooled with this school's curriculum the other three days per week. And I'm sure that there's some people listening, thinking like, Elizabeth, you don't understand our family situation. You don't know where we live and how expensive it is to live here. Or I'm a single parent and you don't know, you know, like this is just not a, like I have to work. I can't homeschool my kids. You know, I don't have money for private Christian Christian education. And so again, I don't know every situation, but I would just encourage you to be very prayerful about this because God owns the entire universe. (laughs) Like he owns everything and it like, how would he not be able to provide the financial resources that you need? You know, whether it's to homeschool your kids or to send them to a private Christian school, just encourage anybody listening who feels like they're trapped in the public education system to reach out to the elders at your local church tell them about the situation that you're in see if there is any possible financial assistance and start praying that the lord will provide you know i think about you know and my story is not everybody's story but i even just think about foundation worldview and when i started foundation worldview I knew that the Lord was calling me to start this before I left my teaching position. Um, I had for two months, I had my pastor and my parents and two mentors and two friends just pray alongside me, you know, like, is the Lord actually calling me out of teaching? And after two months of praying, everyone was like, yes, Elizabeth, the Lord is clearly calling you to leave. And I was like, that's great. Like, what is he calling me to next? You know, and that wasn't quite so clear. But um, I left. I, I, you know, I t- turned in my re- letter of resignation. And I was like, Oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And everybody's like, Oh, Elizabeth, this is so perfect. You're young and you're single. This is the time to do this. I was like, Okay, young means I don't have that much in savings. Single means nobody else is bringing an in income. Like, I don't think you're thinking through this clearly. <laughs> um, but I turned in my letter of resignation, and our head of school was like, What are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. I just know that. This is what the Lord is calling me to do. And two days later, a mom from the school saw me in the teacher's workroom and she was like, Elizabeth, you look kind of weird. Are you okay? And I was like, well, I just turned handed in my letter of resignation. And she was like, what, what are you going to do? And I told her the story and she was like, "Elizabeth, how much does your rent cost each month? And I told her she pulled out her checkbook. She wrote me a check for a year's worth of rent. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like, don't you want to like pray about this? Go home, talk with your husband about it. She's like, Nope, the Lord told you what to do. And now He told me what to do. And so, you know, the Lord just provided. And then, even with starting a company, I didn't have a job, I didn't have an income. And I was like, How am I going to like start this? But I know this is what the Lord has called me to do. And a few months later, a local businessman called me and was like, Hey, Elizabeth, I've been hearing rumors about what you're doing. Like, tell me some more about it. I told him more of what I was doing. He's like, okay. He's like, I've been praying and the Lord has been calling me to give you an interest-free loan of up to a hundred thousand dollars. And I was like, what? (laughs) So anyway, I just say all that to encourage anyone who feels very trapped in their situation. You know, not that the Lord's going to do exactly for you what he did for me, but the the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand Hills. He is the creator and sustainer of the universe. Don't feel trapped in public education. And then when it comes to, you know, homeschooling or university model or co-op or Christian schools, I think all of those can be great options. Um, as so long as the Christian school is genuinely teaching from a biblical worldview and is seeking to support you as the parents, as the primary disciple makers of your children. If the Christian school either is teaching more from a secular perspective, or if they have the view, you know, you just drop your kids off and we're going to do it all. That's not biblical. You know, it's scripture is very clear that parents are called to be the primary disciple makers of their children. I think homeschooling can be a really great option. Um, I know it's a really hard option because we are all sinners and our children are sinners. And when you put, sinners who are in a family together for long periods of time their sin comes out which is also really great in the discipleship process but not easy um, So I think those are are just wonderful models of education so I would just really encourage parents to think outside of the typical paradigm of we just send our kids off to the government schools for eight hours a day and somehow they're gonna end up Christian at the end of 13 years of that. Um, yeah that would be my encouragement briefly <laughs> for parents <laughs>
1: that was that was a beautifully worded response yes to a very poorly worded question (laughs) (laughs) it was just a long question you got there eventually (laughs) we did we did (laughs) (laughs) yeah that is often how we describe it so we we just we 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 like to tell parents that you're always going to invest in your child's education. Mm -hmm. That is what God has called you to do. Mm -hmm. The question is where, if you're going to add, you know, if you're going to do private Christian education, it may, it may require a little less time with the hands-on education process, but it's going to require more of your resources, which also require Mm -hmm. you gaining more time to put into those resources. Um, You know, but whereas Mm -hmm. public education and homeschool essentially require the same amount of time in order to be as involved and, you know, why Mm -hmm. not, Kind of just take that time back and and feel a little more free to do the homeschooling. Uh, yeah, so. except except when you homeschool, the plus is that your copy work for the day can be geared toward whatever bad action you want to, you know, uh, <laughs> train out of your child. To train out of your child. Like, <laughs> you will not punch Waverly today. You know. All right, bud. Write that. Write that ten times. <laughs> You're getting fine motor skills and a, and a moral lesson in how to treat people. <laughs> Yeah, but your kids, your kids are eventually going to say, "What, Dad? Why am I writing the same sentence for the hundredth day in a row?" <laughs> and that's when you say, "Because you never learned." Because you're not. <laughs> because you belong to me. <sighs> I had, uh, you know, it's funny because we just did that, and I had a question to ask based off of what she just said, and I totally lost it. So there's that. That's, anyway, <laughs> that is something that happens sometimes. Anyway, yes. this is kind of an interesting question that I, I think we've just growing up in churches. Me and Jesse both kind of. Identify, um, and I would like to say that this is not. What are you case. about to say? This is not the case in our current. Church what do you general. identify as? <laughs> we identify the topic of the question because oh, of our okay. experience in churches. Gotcha. However, <laughs> in our current church, this is not the case, and we're very grateful for. Oh, for oh, it. But <laughs> oh, you caught on. I got. It, I got it. Now. There you go. Sometimes education space inside of a church, um, even just inside of. The education space in general is dominated predominantly by by women. Is mm. have you found that this material has been able to help men connect, or or do you see it as a need for men to engage in the education process, whether it be in church, particularly even at home, obviously? Um, mm. But maybe I don't know if I've asked this now awkwardly, but that was what I was trying. To say.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, so when we think about men engaging in the education process with children as you said obviously fathers are called to lead their families and they are called you know to raise their their, up their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so that's very clear biblical command. Um, as you mentioned, a lot of times in church settings, it tends to be more women who are running the nursery or running the kids programming. And the question I'm always asking on the Foundation Worldview podcast or anytime you know people just ask me questions is, what is the goal? What is the goal? And so I would say that sometimes our goal in kids ministry at church is wrong. And that we think like, oh, this is where they're going to get the Christian education. You know, like this is where it's going to be transformative where it's like, well, no, this is like one hour a week, you know? And so I I usually do encourage um, people to have their children in a corporate worship service because it's so important that our children understand what corporate worship is and what God has called us to in the body of Christ. But then at a time where children are gathered all together, what is the goal? Well, we want them, we want to supplement what should already be happening at the home, you know, so we want to, you know, continue that work that is already being done in the home. And so I think it's a great opportunity for men to get involved because we want, you know, that that's part of what we're commanded to in the body of Christ. You know that older women are to teach the younger women, that you know the older men are to instruct younger men. And so if 50% of our kids ministry is male, we want them to have some right. men in the kids ministry, you know, who they can look up to. Now, if somebody's listening and they're like, "I just don't feel equipped to do this." You know, you don't need to be a phenomenal teacher. You don't need to necessarily lead, but you can be there and you can be helping and you can be present with the kids. You can be building relationships with, with the kids, which that's, I think, one of the most important things in kids ministry because it's not replacing what's going on in the home it's just supplementing it it's so that our kids can you know understand what it looks like to be a mature man or woman of god to understand what it looks like to live as the family of god so yes i encourage men to be part of kids ministry you know even if you don't feel like this is what you necessarily love I'll be honest with you. Like I work in the nursery at my church. I don't love doing that while God has like called me to be a teacher. Like it's like, I'd kind of much prefer to be on setup because it's just easier, you know, different things like that, but we don't need to feel wildly excited about whatever we're doing to serve in our local church, to know that God is using it and that it's really important. And then as far as the specifically the materials that that I develop are at Foundation Worldview I we have found that sometimes because we tend to be more um academic and theologically driven, that those are the type of materials that do draw men more often. Like it was really funny when I would first started speaking at homeschooling conferences a lot, you know, homeschooling conventions are like probably like 75% moms, you know, and like 25% dads are there. But I noticed that the sessions that I led had were about 50, 50, evenly split between men and women. And I was like, oh, these are topics that men are more drawn to. So I don't know. I can't tell you from a statistics perspective, if there are more men leading with our materials in churches but i do know that the topics tend to be one that do draw more men than just what you typically might find in children's ministry
1: yeah i would definitely say that what's what was awesome is a lot of the teachers kept coming up you know to me and saying you know what's amazing about this curriculum is how much i am learning <laughs> i'm mm-hmm. learning so much through this curriculum and and by god's grace i i are older class teachers are actually, I think, all male. So we rotate our teachers through on a week by week basis so that no Mm -hmm. one's pulled out from corporate worship um, in a consistent way. Um, So, so that's how we kind of, we operate that way. And I think all, yeah, all four of those weeks are are, are, rotated taught by men. So yeah. Um, That was a great answer. You did a, you did a fantastic job for a kind of an on the spot weird question. (laughs) (laughs) The last question. Do uh, you want me to ask the last question? This is not the last question because I actually had an. Addendum. Oh, you have I another had, question? I had the addendum question. Oh well, the then I'll I'll do this, and okay. then you start thinking of your segue to the addendum. It's, it's not even a problem. <laughs> I'm going to say the word supple and then ask the question. <laughs> Mental. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so so what are what what are some of your favorite resources or books to help parents engage? Um, apart from, obviously, the Foundations Worldview curriculum. Um, so to supplement the Foundations Worldview, yes, to supplement the supplemental, <laughs> what, uh, what are some of your favorite books or resources to help parents engage with their kids on this, on this worldview level, uh, level? Yes, well...
0: We actually have a book club at Foundation Worldview that we come up with once a month, and we recommend there's a title for adults, a title for kids 8 to 12, and a title for kids 4 to 7. And so we have tons of recommendations of books that we think are really helpful there. Just ones that come to my mind right away, um, and we chatted a little bit about this before we started recording, is the Mama Bear Apologetics books. Mm -hmm. Really love those books. I Think they have so much great information. They're so helpful. They're also written in a way that's just, I think, really friendly to the average reader. Um, I think in their first book, the first chapter is called like "My Kid Is a Cheerio Shoved Up His Nose." Why am I reading this? Um, you know, so it's just very friendly for parents. So really love those books. Natasha Crane is another author um, who talks about, you know, helping our kids understand the truth of the biblical worldview. So really find her books. Very helpful. Um, Several months ago, I interviewed Dr. Greg Allison, who teaches, he's a professor of theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He has a lot of great books. What I love about his books is he is very theologically sound and he goes in depth, but his content is so accessible. So he has a book called 50 core truths of the Christian faith that we recommended in our book club several months ago. And that's just really accessible for parents, even just, you know, parents who might not have any theology training, thinking about, you know, what truths do I need to impart to my children? He also has another book embodied. This is Greg Allison. This is not to be confused with Preston Sprinkle's book embodied. I do not endorse that one, but embodied by Greg Allison talks about what it means, um, you know, to live as a whole person in a in a world that's been fractured by sin. That's another really great book. And then one of my favorites, this one is slightly more academic. So if you're not used to academic reading it, this one might take a slight bit more time, but it's not too, too long called Strange New World by Carl Truman. Mm -hmm. Um, And that just kind of goes through the history of how did we get to the place where today Every, someone says, you know, I am a woman trapped in a man's body and everybody just nods and smiles. So I think that's really helpful just to understand that history. If someone is listening and is particularly academically minded, the um, strange new world actually has an academic companion, which is called the rise and triumph of the modern self. And so if you're more academically leaning, that's a great book. So those are just a few books off the top of my mind that I think are really helpful for parents.
1: That was an excellent book list. Yes. Yeah, I haven't, I don't think I've, I don't think I've read anything by Dr. Allison. I have a question though. Is that 50 core truths of the Christian faith? Is that like a thicker book? I think I have a 50 core truths of something in my library. It I don't know might
0: it's be, ready. it's probably between like, it's probably around 300 pages long. I have that book. Um, so if you, you haven't, it it, it's great. Yeah.
1: I tend to just <laughs> buy books and then um, maybe I'll read them one day. boy does he buy books it is impressive um the the last question uh that i wanted to ask you is something just because i've heard you talk about it before and it is so phenomenal so this kind of breaks off for everybody listening kind of breaks off from the education uh lane and kind of goes into uh how you live life inside of uh god's church how a church Mm -hmm. functions um you and i'll just I'll just start it and you can just go into the story. but you had uh, you had, as you began this, um, I believe a, a couple approached you and, and just saw how much traveling you were doing and, and how much work you were doing and they just had some concerns and wanted to you know see what you thought about them and it kind of started you on a, a really cool biblical process for uh, everyone I think to think through when it comes to how you interact with your church. So I didn't know if you'd be willing to tell us that story because I, I find it so yeah. helpful.
0: Yes, I'd love to, because the local church is something I'm very passionate about, because that is God's plan A for the world, and there is not a plan B. Um, So, (laughs) um, yeah, so it was a little over a year ago now. um, Two different people that I consider mentors in my life, they approached me separately and They both said almost the same thing, like, hey, Elizabeth, like, we love what you're doing. We love the ministry that God has called you to, but we think you're just on a really unhealthy trajectory just because part of what I do is, um, you know, go around and speak and teach at different churches or conferences. And they were like, you know, it's really not biblical for you to be untethered from the local church for this amount of time you know for you to be on the road this often like it leads it can lead to you know just a lot of pride growing it can lead to other sins in your life you know that nobody's going to have a really in-depth look at who you are and what's going on in your life and so i was so grateful for both of those people just for their courage in approaching me and yeah it took took a few weeks to sit down and pray about that talk through that with different people. And then I was like, yeah, this is, this is really wise because it's just unwise for me to, especially we live in kind of like, and again, like I am not super well known, like by any stretch of the imagination, but we live in a celebrity culture where people are just like, Oh my gosh, you know, like, I love this person. I follow this person, you know, um, which like, can you like see like that happening with the apostle Paul? Like, no, like he was like beaten where he went, you know, it wasn't (laughs) like, it like, wasn't like this celebrity culture thing. So anyway, After that, I met with the elders um, and their wives, just individually met with each of the elders and their wives and just asked them, like, what do you think it looks like for me to be faithful to this ministry that God has entrusted me with that serves the body of Christ at large, you know, in the U.S. and throughout the world, while also being faithful to God's calling for me to be rooted here as a member of the local church. And um, yeah, they were so the elders and their wives were so gracious. And we just kind of came up with a plan that. I would, you know, I would not travel on Sundays. So I would not be gone on Sundays that when I am on the road that I take a different, um, woman from my church with me each time, which has been like a huge blessing. Like at first a I was like, it. who's going to come with me? Like, you know, like who's, who's going to want to like leave their family and come with me where every time I approach a different woman at church, I'm like, okay, like, so I want you to think and pray about this, but you know, like I have this speaking engagement here this month, like would just love, you know, if you'd like to travel with me and everybody each time has been like, Yes, yes, yes. I want That's to come so and I'm like, funny. "Oh. Okay." <laughs> so it's just been really fun to get to know different women in the church. So I know for listeners probably like not, you know, like they're different listen- different people's lives look different, you know. So you might not be on the road a whole time, but I just think it's so important for us to recognize how God has structured the local church to function and um yeah, that we are called to submit ourselves under the godly authority of the elders in our church. And it's for our good, it's for our protection, it's for our growth. Um, I think that also means on the flip side, we need to be very, very intentional about the church where we choose to root ourselves. Like I tell people, and I mean, maybe this is a little bit extreme. I don't know that I could completely justify it biblically because back in the early church, you know, like in Corinth, there wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go to this church or I'm going to go to that church. It was just like the church of Corinth, you know, there weren't like lots of Options, but I just really—it was wild. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. I gave the example of the church in Corinth. It was wild there. (laughs) Um, But I, I really encourage people to choose a church with a similar seriousness to which you have chosen your spouse. You know that that you're making this commitment. That you know, like unless there's biblical unfaithfulness, you know, unless the elders at the church, you know, choose to go off into heresy, you know, and, and are not open to correction that I'm going to be at this church for as long as the Lord has my family here. It's not for as long as I feel excited about this church or as long as this church, you know, it feels like it meets my needs, but like, this is where the Lord has called us. And this is where we're going to choose to be faithful. Um, And for me personally, being off the road has meant that I can be intentional about practicing biblical hospitality, that I can be intentional about, you know, looking for the for the needs of those at church and seeking to meet those needs. And that has just been, that's just been such a huge blessing for me. And even, um, I was kind of laughing earlier this week because last week I was actually not far from where you guys were. I was in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania with my parents oh, and nice. we went to the site. Yeah. So we went to the site and sound theater while we were there. And during intermission, two different families recognized me and they were like, Oh my goodness, it's Miss Elizabeth. Oh my gosh. You know, like, and they were all excited and like fawning over the work I had done. And then the next day I, was back at church and I was in the nursery and somebody at my church got really ticked at me about the way that I handled something in the nursery. And so like we had to work through this conflict. And I was like, this is what the Lord has called us to. Like, this is so good. Like just remembering we are all completely normal people that like get into conflicts with others and we are not perfect. So anyway, I hope that answers your question, but I just really, I think biblically, you know, the local church is God's plan a, and we need to invest in the local church where God has called us and recognize, um, just the way that he set up that structure there. It's for our good.
1: Yeah. I love that you, what I love about the story is how it's actually people. Yes. We're brave. Cause it's hard to come up and bring
0: like mm. uh, a criticism
1: or, or, yeah. or to, to see something that you think is unhealthy for someone Um, and knowing that they might not see it that way and that can cause Mm -hmm. maybe a defensive reaction or, but, but your reaction, you're stepping into a process Mm -hmm. on the flip side. Now coming out of it has actually been even more beneficial than Mm -hmm. before. And that's, what's so cool to see when we actually engage in the process that God has given us as a gift, Mm -hmm. instead of treating it like it's a burden. Um, and we are a hundred percent on board with you, uh, with your dedication to a body, because if. If Paul's going to describe it as a body or as a family, you don't get mm-hmm. to leave those things. It's not like when, like, you know, like my hand doesn't yeah. get to decide it's not part of my body anymore. My, yeah. like, I don't, I don't, as much as I try, I don't get to decide Jesse is not my brother anymore. He's mm-hmm. still my brother. So there <laughs> so, have been attempts. <laughs> that's <what> should, <laughs> if that's what the church is, then, then we should hunker down and make family mm-hmm. with it. So that was awesome. I, I appreciate that story. Yeah, I we, I appreciate that. I remember as soon as I read that, I shared it right to our church because uh, it's I feel like we we hear we hear that. I feel like so often from the church leaders telling their church congregations to live in that way. But to to have you to have you share that those stories, um, it, it was like a really beautiful it, it ministered to my heart as a church leader to see mm-hmm. the humility in that in you, even though I'd never met you um. It was it was just such a, a beautiful picture of of like how it's supposed to be. um and, and that was even through through what might be considered as confrontation, even though it sounded very loving, at least the way you described it just now. I don't know if it felt loving, but, um you know, through loving confrontation and, and through through prayer and the Lord's help and through humble submission, like you, you meted out that sanctification in your life through, through the ordinary means of God's church. And that was just like, it was so beautiful to me. I'm like, and so clearly evident. Um, It was, it was really good. I'm glad you asked that question, Justin. That was great. Great work, bud. Praise the Lord. Liz, we are so thankful for your time today. It has been absolutely wonderful. Uh, I'm thankful for the blessing of your ministry. I am so thankful uh, that, that you've got so much more content that we now need to consume. Can you let everybody know how they can connect to you and to foundation worldview? I want to make sure you, you you get that out there because we tend to forget that when people talk to us, like, because <laughs> we keep thinking, who cares? Nobody wants to talk to us. But like, people should want to talk to you. So, where can they connect? <laughs> oh, I you think guys,
0: that so? I think that all the time about myself. I'm like, why would like when people ask me about my story? Sometimes I'm like, why would anybody care? Um, but anyway, the way that you can find um, out about Foundation Worldview, if you just remember the name Foundation Worldview, go to foundationworldview.com. Um, easiest way to find us or just Google us. We should pop up really high on when you search for foundation worldview.
1: (laughs) That's how, you know, you have a good social media guy. Make sure that that SEO (laughs) is optimized and you guys have a podcast, right?
0: We do, yes. We have a podcast. It's it's pretty short. We you know it's it's for parents yep. mainly for parents, and so we try to keep it under twenty minutes. It's usually between fifteen and twenty minutes. Comes out twice a week, where people just write in questions and we answer them.
1: It turns out to be very helpful information. Just to be clear, short uh, yeah. doesn't mean short on qu- quality of quantity. The the quantity may be <laughs> not there, but the quality is there. I am very upset that you knew that she had a podcast and you didn't let me know about this. I'm just finding out about this for the first time in my entire life. Well, I'm. Terribly sorry, my friend. There you go. Uh, and then, if you can figure out how to spell Urbanowitz, you can try to find her on social media. There's That's a, the game. I think there's an O in it, right? I keep spelling it with just A's, but there's an O.
0: There is an O. But Urbanowitz. It's
1: okay. <laughs> if, you try, if you speak into Google, it may get her name right, and you may be able to follow her. on
0: social
1: media. <laughs> Oh my word! Unless you want to actually tell people where they can follow you.
0: So, well, I I don't actually have any public figure social media. I'm not trying to have people follow me. I mean, if people want to, they're they're welcome to follow my um, personal. Uh, I only have a Facebook page. That's all I have. And the reason, Jesse, I think you and I are friends on Facebook, but the reason you didn't know about the podcast is because I just don't ever post any uh, uh, that's foundation possible. on my personal <laughs> page. Ironically, yeah. It's also
1: because my brother has neglected to tell me about it. So I, I <laughs> blame squarely on him. <laughs> all, of the groupers, all of the groupers are a part of your Facebook page. We, we all <laughs> see the conversations. We know what's going on. <laughs> Apparently I'm I'm more than know I'm stocked
0: in southern new jersey
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes yes it's great to know there you go <laughs> well, this has been an awesome time thank you again so much for your time uh My pleasure today. yeah I, I always say night but this is morning it was, oh, yeah it's daytime, morning, it's, daytime. Uh, it's like lunchtime right now i we hope uh listener that you've been encouraged and will grow by this and as always we hope that you will indeed seize the, the faith, faith.